1: and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening, and enjoy the show. Today's episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark is brought to you by Haunted Places, an incredible paranormal podcast from the folks at ParCast, with new episodes released every Thursday and by Green Chef the USDA-certified organic meal delivery company that's all about eating and living green, and that wants you to feel great about your food. I'll be back after tonight's first story to tell you a little more about haunted places. And halfway through tonight's second epic hour-long tale, I'll tell you more about Green Chef, including a special offer they have for my listeners this week, sure to make eating well easy and affordable, with plans to fit every kind of lifestyle. Until then, go ahead. Make sure your doors are locked. And check to make sure your closet doors are shut like they ought to be. That way, you'll have some warning when they creak open later. When you're sound asleep. (laughs) Uh, Just kidding. Where am I? Stay tuned. The show's about to begin. (laughs) Good evening, you're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 1. I'm your host, Otis Gyrie. In tonight's episode, I'll be performing three stories for you about evil imaginations, disappearances in the dark, and flame born phantoms. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this, and other episodes with twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now it's time to get started, so lock your doors, turn your lights down low, and settle in. The show is about to begin. <laughs> Our first tale of terror this evening comes to us courtesy of an author who goes by the moniker Red Bull Reptar. Without further ado, I present to you, Pretend. Luke stepped out of the warm comfort of his best friend's house into the cold winter air. The sun was quickly slipping beneath the horizon, and the trees of the forest cast long, twisted shadows across the yard. Luke said goodbye to his friend and thanked his mother for having him over. As their goodbyes drew to a close, the front door swung shut, and a silence fell over Luke. He stared out across the lawn into the twilight forest that awaited him. It was only a fifteen-minute walk from his friend's house to his own, and he had made that walk countless times before. But as he watched the night descend upon the world, Something sinister began to fill the shadows. Luke knew what was coming next. It didn't happen often, but he knew tonight it would be coming for him. There was an acute sense of dread in the air, and he could almost feel its gaze watching him from the ever-lengthening shadows. Luke stepped off his friend's porch and into the night. Luke crossed the thirty yards from the porch to the beginning of the forest path With little incident, but as he entered the woods, he entered another realm. No longer did he live in the world of modern conveniences, where a warm, bright home was only a short walk away. In its stead was a primeval existence, where danger lurked in every shadow, and his only salvation was a night's march away. Luke had been walking for a little over a minute when it began, far in the distance, standing between two trees. It was there, standing motionless, watching him, its twisted figure lit by the dying rays of the sun. No sooner had Luke seen it than it was gone, and with it vanished the last vestiges of daylight. The hunt was on. Luke began to move faster, but he had to hold himself back knowing if he broke into a run it would soon chase him down. This was not Luke's first time seeing the thing, and after enough encounters he did learn the rules. He was not to run or scream or it would be angry. If it was angry, Luke received a deep gash on his arm or leg. Luke had been fortunate to never anger it further. Luke knew if he kept calm and walked home The thing would not punish him. It would be terrifying, but he'd arrive home alive. The first time he saw it, he'd run home with his heart, ready to rip itself out of his chest. He received a nasty cut down his leg for his troubles, and he arrived home dirty, bloody, and trembling. He'd stumbled into the house and sunk to the floor, shaking and crying. When he told his mother what had happened... She dismissed the whole thing as a product of his overactive imagination. She promised to get rid of the thorn bush that had scratched him and told him to calm down. Since then, he'd stopped telling his mom when he saw it, and when the thing cut him, he hid it from her. Not only did his mother blame his imagination, but so did everyone else he tried to tell. His father, his brother, even his best friend blamed his overactive imagination... His father and brother had told him to stop playing pretend and act his age. Luke was alone with his twisted companion. Luke continued onward, trying to contain his fear. Every second he fought the urge to scream and run for his life. Luke knew that it would appear at any moment. He might turn a corner and it would be in the middle of the path. He might glance to the side and see it behind the nearest tree. But no matter what, he never saw it for long. Luke wasn't even sure what it looked like, as it never stayed inside long enough for him to set its appearance into his memory. But although he rarely saw it, its presence never left. Whether it was noxious smells of filth and blood, ragged panting or drooling, Luke knew the thing was always close by. The walk was stretching into an eternity for Luke. He felt as though he had left his friend's house hours ago, and yet it seemed there were miles and miles left to walk until he was home. Luke began to pick up the pace a little, and as his step quickened, he heard a shuffling gate behind him begin to rustle the leaves. This was incredibly odd, as he had never heard its footsteps before. They were close not so close that Luke was considering bolting. Oddly, these heavy footfalls made Luke feel better. He knew he couldn't possibly be imagining them. He could hear leaves rustle and crunch underneath the pursuer's feet. He could hear it physically impacting the world. Surely that that couldn't be his imagination. Time dragged on, and Luke could hear the footsteps growing closer and closer. His already strained heart began to beat even faster. After a while, Luke could hear the footsteps directly behind him. The thing was just waiting for Luke to turn around and look at it, but he would not succumb. He knew as soon as he stopped or looked behind him, the thing would devour him. Just as Luke was ready to give in and run for it, the footsteps stopped. Luke was so surprised he faltered, and as he slowed... "'He felt the thing's breath brush along his neck. "'As the acrid fumes swept around him, he almost fainted. "'But by some miracle, he was able to keep his feet. "'Luke gathered his senses and kept on walking. "'Behind him, the thing let out a murderous shriek. "'As though it were angered, Luke had not succumbed to its taunts. "'Luke was more frightened than ever, but he refused to give in to the thing. "'Luke shoved his hands into his pockets "'stared at his shoes and picked up the pace. "'Luke kept on his way for several minutes, "'and for several minutes all was quiet. "'Luke began to hope that tonight's nightmare was over. "'As he raised his head to check his surroundings, "'his eyes fell upon the feet of his pursuer. "'He was standing there in the middle of the path, "'waiting for him. "'Luke refused to look. "'He stared at its vile feet, "'refusing to meet its demonic gaze.' Its feet were sick and disfigured with yellow cracked talons protruding from them. The largest one was curved like a raptor's and stained with blood. The skin was a sickly pale yellow and covered in pockmarks and warts. The arch of the foot was inhuman and twisted almost like a coiled spring. Luke was almost sick, but again he found a way to keep himself under control. Almost as soon as Luke had taken in the thing's sick feet, they were gone. Luke could take no more. He broke into a run. He knew the thing would be furious, but he no longer cared. He just wanted the terror to end. As he ran, he heard the thing stomping behind him. Its footfalls were thunderous, and it let out a bloody shriek. Luke could hear the fury in its cry, and it drove him to run even faster. Luke could tell he was close to home. If he could hold out for thirty more seconds, he could make it out of the woods. The thing's footfalls drew even closer, and Luke was almost ready to give up. His legs were moving slower and slower by the second. His lungs were burning with each breath, and his face was growing cold, as though his blood were seeping out of it. Luke caught sight of the edge of the woods and with one maniacal last burst of energy kept going. He heard the thing closing in, Its screams grew frenzied as it prepared to kill, but just as Luke began to feel the thing's claws sink into its shoulders, he burst beyond a tree line and onto his own lawn. Luke stumbled to his porch, wheezing the whole way. He dragged himself onto the steps and collapsed, trembling as adrenaline coursed through his exhausted body. Luke lay there in silence, trying to recover from the horrid experience when from the woods... "'Luke heard a rabid snuffling. "'He raised his head, dreading what he might see. "'From out of the woods emerged the thing. "'Luke had no idea what to do. "'The thing always disappeared when he left the woods. "'The thing had broken its own rules, "'and Luke was too exhausted to do anything "'but watch it draw closer to him. "'As it came closer, he began to see it "'in ever greater detail,' as it stepped into his porch light. The thing was hideous, beyond belief. It was disgusting and unnatural. It had one huge red eye in the middle of its face. Below it was a crooked gash of a mouth that hung open, revealing a veritable hacksaw of black and bloody teeth. It had no nose or ears, and its head was covered in limp spikes. Its shoulders were uneven, Its one arm was gimpy and the shoulder twisted. "'The arm was withered and hung by the creature's side. "'Its other arm was massive "'and had claws matching those on its feet. "'The claws extended down to the ground "'and dragged as it marched forward. "'Its spine was twisted, "'and it seemed a miracle that the thing could even walk. "'Luke stared in horror as it approached. "'He knew he was facing his death.' He was too physically and mentally exhausted to do anything but stare into the disfigured face of death. But extraordinarily, as the thing drew within five feet of him, it stopped. It stopped and stared at him. Luke did not know for how long they made eye contact, but after a while, the thing simply turned and ran off into the woods, far faster than Luke ever thought its twisted frame could move. Luke lay there for some time until he could muster the energy to stumble into his home. When he returned, his mother's only remark was that he was late, and he should know better than to make her worry like that. Luke numbly stumbled into his room and collapsed. He didn't sleep soundly that night, nor would he for many nights to come, but he thanked God he had survived. He didn't know what made the thing turn back. Maybe it had some sort of twisted sense of honor that stopped it from killing a defenseless boy or maybe it just wanted to preserve him for another night of sport Luke didn't know and Luke didn't care he was just thankful to be alive that same night another young boy returned home late he scrambled through the dirt with his cracked and yellowed claws into the entrance of his home as he lumbered into the dank cavern that it was his home the boy's mother demanded to know where he'd been The boy was out of breath and sweating from his earlier exertions. He could barely get out a response to his mother. He told her that he had seen the thing again. His mother told him to stop playing pretend and go to bed. He protested that he had gotten close to it this time, looked at it, and even touched it. He told her how hideous it was, with its smooth pink skin and its squashed face, with its two beady eyes, but it didn't seem dangerous. He didn't know why, it always ignored him when he tried to be friendly, and tonight it had run away again. He felt bad because it often cut itself on all the thorns along the path when it run. His mother told him to shut down his overactive imagination and stop telling her such ridiculous stories. He grumbled as he shuffled into his room and lay down in his bed of worms to go to sleep. He would get the thing to talk to him one day. He just had to keep on trying. The thing often walked through the yard at night. He would just say hi to it again in a week.
0: Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs
1: I hope you enjoyed Pretend by Red Bull Reptar. Up next, we've got the first part of an hour-long epic tale of terror from author Brenda Adder. Before we dive into the darkened depths of Brenda's terror-filled imagination, however, allow me to tell you about one of today's sponsors, Haunted Places, a great spooky podcast program that'll fit in nicely alongside this show, and which releases new episodes every Thursday. Now, if you've been listening to our program for a while, and have a never-ending interest in the odd and incredible, then I'm guessing that you've already heard of haunted houses, haunted cemeteries, and even haunted islands. But do you know how a normal place can become a paranormal minefield? Well, would you like to find out? (laughs) Every Haunted Place on Earth has a frightening, real backstory, and every week the ParCast original Haunted Places is determined to tell those tales. Each and every episode, the program's host, Greg Polson, you may know him from ParCast's other amazing shows, such as Serial Killers and Culp, takes you on an audio tour of a new haunted place and its haunted history. In the familiar tone of a campfire story, You'll hear about everything from spooky legends and landmarks to weird histories and tales of the supernatural. Listen at your own risk. <laughs> Haunted Places delves into detailed stories of death, neglect, and unresolved fates that linger in the fabrics of these eerie locales. Through it all, you'll learn exactly how previously normal locations turned into resting grounds for Lingering Spirits and Paranormal Activity. In the series, you'll discover the sordid stories behind which famous spirits are haunting the Hollywood Forever Cemetery, and learn why visitors still hear the screams of prisoners at Alcatraz Federal Penitentiary after all these years. As if all that wasn't enough to whet your appetite for the ghastly. Upcoming episodes, focusing on the Chelsea Hotel... Known for having more than a few ghostly occupants, and the White House, haunted of course by the ghost of former presidents, are scheduled for release soon. You'll feel the hairs rise on your back of your neck as you hear these thrilling and disturbing stories described in vivid detail, told by one of the best storytellers in the biz, aside from yours. Truly, of course. <laughs> Search for and subscribe to Haunted Places on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Simple as that. Again, just search Haunted Places, or if you like, you can visit parkast.com slash haunted to listen now right on their website. And if you enjoy what you hear, by all means, send me a message on social media or on our website and let us know what you think. We can't wait to hear what you think about our friends at Haunted Places. And if you feel so inclined, go ahead and leave the team at Haunted Places a five-star review and a kind word and let them know that Otis Jiry and Scary Stories Told in the Dark sent you. Now, without further ado, grab your safety blanket and hold on tight. Our second story tonight is an hour-long tour de force... Guaranteed to make you think twice about investigating the truth about local legends and sticking your nose where it doesn't belong. Stay tuned. Our second story today comes to us from author Brenda Ader. I present to you The Legend of Shuffling Joe. Part 1 It was a typical day at school when I heard that Jessica Bramer had disappeared. That's not to say that there was anything especially typical about Jessica herself. She'd been one of the most beautiful girls in school. She'd been in virtually every organization. Her grades were good. She even played the flute. Not that many people really liked her. She, like many other students, was exceedingly popular but not especially well liked. She was the kind that would smile softly while asking you to buy some pies for the prom committee, but then rebuff you in the hallway when you said hello. You know the kind. It was still shocking, though, when she went missing. Everyone felt bad, especially for her boyfriend, Jake. They'd been dating for several months, and it was, after all, really sad that a girl from Addison High should go missing like that. It was whispered about, speculated about, talked to death. Then school let out for the summer. Nothing was really said about Jessica when school started again. Of course, come autumn, someone started a rumor that Jessica's ghost had been seen out by Jefferson Creek on the old South Road. No one was terribly surprised by this, mind you. It was a creepy stretch of highway that runs by the abandoned Carver Place. If a person's ghost was going to be seen anywhere, that would be the place. The rumor created an interesting little buzz in the school just in time for Halloween. Most people poked fun at the rumor because they didn't want to seem uptight or overly serious. I mean, the whole thing was over six months old. It was basically old news. There'd been no leads. There'd been no body. The case was dead, and so, probably, was Jessica. How or why was anyone's guess. Besides, it wasn't as if anyone was terribly torn up about her disappearance. Well, except Jake, that is. I guess you could say the cheerleading squad was pretty sad, too, actually but only because she'd taken so many years of gymnastics and could do some really cool stunts. The weeks went by and the whole story about Jefferson Creek reached fever pitch. It was mid-autumn, so naturally everyone wanted to go out to the old South Road after dark and try to get a glimpse of her disembodied spirit. It wasn't that different from the kids who played Ghost in the Graveyard out in Westlawn Cemetery. It was kind of disrespectful, but basically harmless. Besides, we all find it kind of intriguing, especially my friend, Lena. Lena was something of a goth girl. She didn't exactly practice witchcraft, but she was fascinated by it. She claimed that she knew how to perform spells and that she had the ability to talk to the dead. But I wasn't entirely convinced she had any special ability in either discipline. Personally, I suspected that she'd adopted the whole gothic persona just to be different. I'd seen her in action enough times to know that she was one of those people who'd argue with you just so she wouldn't appear ordinary. You know the kind. They're always pointing out your shortcomings in that slightly condescending way. It didn't surprise me at all when she said that I was a dead battery when it came to the spirit world as if she knew the difference. However, when she suggested that we drive out to Jefferson Creek for a Jessica Bramer seance, I decided to go along, but just for kicks. The idea sounded pretty weird, but it was getting close to Halloween, and I thought it might be interesting. Besides, the idea of doing something adventurous that would appal my overly religious mother was strangely appealing to me. I'm not even sure why. Word about the seance got around the school almost immediately. People I didn't even know were coming up to me and either asking to come along or telling me how repulsed and disgusted they were. In truth, I wasn't even sure how I felt about the whole business myself. I mean, it all sounded great when you're sitting in the school cafeteria eating cheese sticks and slugging soda, telling everyone about it. It's another thing entirely to be out by the edge of the creek in the moonlight with the smell of dry leaves wafting on the breeze and the sound of water rolling nearby. Let me be perfectly clear. Jefferson Creek is one of the creepiest places in the state. It's literally out in the middle of nowhere. There are actually stories about people disappearing from the old highway. Many of these unfortunate people have shown up floating downstream near Hoopstown, nearly 40 miles away. My mom insists I use an alternate route home when I have to come that way. She always tells me the story of Becky Gilman, a 19-year-old girl from Milton County who was horribly murdered out on the Old South Road, a few miles from Jefferson Creek. The body was so terribly mangled that dental records were required to identify her even seasoned police officers were unsettled by the horror all of these things were floating around in my mind as i sat in the back seat of lena's car headed for jefferson creek it was late october and it was quite cool nearly 45 degrees it was also very dark the moon was a mere slit in the night sky there were however a multitude of stars it had been a clear day and it promised to be a crisp night We turned off the interstate and drove along a frontage road toward the old highway. This country road was like many. It was covered with white-gray patches of pavement crisscrossed by gravel-filled cracks and weeds. There were also plenty of potholes thrown in for good measure. There was an open field edged with thick trees on our right and the ever-drifting interstate lights moving away at an angle on the left. Eventually... We turned onto the far end of the old south road, which was lined closely with trees. Lena's headlights pierced the darkness that seemed to be closing in on both sides. I found myself jumping a bit whenever we hit a pothole. It was just so incredibly dark out there in the trees, and we're getting so far away from the glow of civilization. The houses became further and further apart, and streetlights disappeared almost completely for miles at a time. The thickness of trees on both sides of the road prevented a person from seeing too far ahead, and the light from a barn or doorstep set far up a gravel lane actually glimmered with a halo of cool menace. It seemed like we drove for nearly an hour. How did Lena know the way? Was she taking the scenic route? I was about to ask her when she spoke. "'It's supposed to be right around the corner,' she said, leaning over the steering wheel, trying to peer into the thick darkness. "'We've got to be getting close to the turn.' "'Have you ever been out here before?' I asked, afraid to know the answer. "'No, but my sister was once. She's the one who gave me the directions. "'It's really not that hard to get to,' she paused and then added. She said people used to come out here all the time. We hit another pothole and I could hear the rattle of the candles and the flashlights we'd brought along for the adventure rolling around in the trunk. Why? I asked. I couldn't imagine anyone going out of their way there just for kicks. Lots of reasons, she replied, vaguely. But most people came to see if the legend was true. Legend? What legend? I queried, intrigued. I hope you don't mean that old Becky Gilman story. Sandy, my other friend from civics class, added unimpressed. She'd come along because, like Lena, she was really into fortune-telling, ghosts, and the supernatural. The whole idea of a seance fascinated her. No, the original story. Lena answered, That explains why the place is haunted. It's kind of cool. I didn't know the creek was haunted, I commented. Me neither, said Sandy. Since when does Jefferson Creek have a ghost? Since forever, Lena answered somewhat sarcastically. She had a way of making every one of your questions sound completely ridiculous. Okay, so what's the story, I asked. Probably just some headless guy that wanders around the place. "'Sandy teased. "'No, he's not headless,' Lena replied somewhat jokingly. "'He's just some guy who used to live around here a long time ago. "'It's a really old story, I guess. "'My sister said she heard it from her friend's old neighbor lady. "'The old woman was like a hundred years old or something. "'Only the older people in the area really know the story anymore. "'Even my mom doesn't know very much about it, "'and she's lived here all her life.' So, what's the story? Sandy pressed, impatient to hear about the ghost. Supposedly, there was a strange guy who used to live out in the woods by himself. Everybody called him Shuffling Joe because he walked with a limp. His foot had some problems, so he always leaned to one side when he walked. Anyway, one night, a couple was driving home from someplace. It was dark, and the husband couldn't see very well. "'Some people say he was drunk, but I don't know either way. "'All I know is something came out of the woods "'as he was about to drive over the bridge, "'and he hit it in the dark. "'At first, the guy wasn't sure what he'd hit, "'so he pulled over jumped out of the car "'and began searching around. "'Eventually, he stumbled on the body of a man. and "'Some say it was Joe. "'Of course, the guy freaked. "'He didn't want to go to jail,' So he pushed the body down the embankment into the creek where it floated downstream. Then he jumped back in the car and told his wife they hit a deer. Soon after he drove away into the night. After that he was never the same. He was always tense, looking over his shoulder. He wouldn't look into mirrors and he never drove again. In less than a month he was dead. Supposedly he went totally insane and jumped off a bridge. Now, legend has it that anyone who approaches the Jefferson Creek Bridge by night will have some sort of car trouble. The lights will suddenly go off or the engine will just die, sometimes both. Lena's voice grew softer. Then, while you're working on your car, or just sitting there, you'll hear the sound of someone walking toward the car. It's always someone with a lamp. You think it's help, but it isn't. It's Shuffling Joe come to take his revenge on the people who had left him to die. So, what does he do? I asked, somewhat freaked out but still curious. He comes for blood. Lena purred, enjoying our discomfort. People say he slits your throat from ear to ear. Oh, my God, I whispered. That's disgusting. But I haven't told you the best part. She paused for effect, and when she spoke again, her voice was softer and more sinister than usual. It's said that he always breaks his victim's legs before he kills them, so that everyone who passes through here will know what it's like to be a cripple. She ended with a wicked sounding snicker. "'Wow, that's quite a story. "'I'm not sure I'd share it with people "'as you're driving them out to Jefferson Creek, though.' "'Sandy commented snidely, clearly somewhat annoyed. "'Yeah,' I added. "'Like we're not freaked out enough already.' "'It's not even that bad. "'You guys just need to relax.' "'Lena chuckled, not taking us seriously.' Don't get me wrong. I think the story's cool and all, Sandy amended. I'm just saying your timing kind of sucks. Whatever. Lena smirked. I'm with this Sandy on this one, Lena, I added. You probably should have saved that story. I don't know why you guys are so freaked out. It's just a story. Lena sighed, exasperated with this. It's not like it's real or anything. It doesn't have to be. "'It's the fact that we're out here in the middle of nowhere "'and you're talking about cripples who slit people's throats,' Sandy pointed out. "'Yeah, and it's not like weird stuff hasn't happened out here,' I commented. "'People have disappeared up by the creek,' Lena. "'You could say that about any wooded area,' Lena argued. "'My mom used to tell me to stay off Hicks Road after dark, too,' because some girl was murdered out behind the old armory back in the 60s. I'd hardly put Hicks Road in the same category with this one, would you? Sandy argued. I mean, let's get real. The old South Road has a reputation. Hicks Road doesn't. One murder doesn't give a road a reputation. Yeah, I added. And let's not forget why we're here right now. One of our classmates supposedly went missing out this way. That's just a rumor, Lena replied. Logan Gallagher started that business a few weeks ago. Nobody actually knows where Jessica was when she disappeared. Sandy sunk down into the back seat, her head at a strange angle. I thought at first that she was pouting, but I soon realized that she was thinking. She spoke again after a long pause. I probably should have mentioned this before. I don't know why I didn't. I guess I didn't really give it too much thought until now. She paused again. That was her introduction. Did you know that I'm friends with Jessica Bremers' cousin? The question was directed at no one in particular. You mean Joe Finks, I asked? Yeah, she replied. I merely shook my head in the darkness, making a sound of denial. She continued a moment later. Well, Joe and I are pretty close. He's a good guy. He doesn't make stuff up. He told me that Jessica may have actually gone out to the creek the night she disappeared. She paused for a moment, letting this fact sink in. Then she continued. She was at Darren Hinkle's house with Joe and a bunch of other people, and they all started playing truth or dare. Joe said that somebody dared her to drive out to the old Carver place, and go up on the porch, knock on the door. Sandy was quiet for a bit. He said he didn't know for sure if anybody actually went out there because he had to leave early, but he said there was definitely talk about going, and that was the last time he ever saw her. Sandy was sullen, almost meditative, watching her hands. Several minutes seemed to pass in silence before she spoke again. Finally, she continued... I asked some of her friends if it was true, but no one would talk about it like it was some big secret. It was just weird. An uneasy stillness fell over the car. I began to wonder if maybe all the rumors about Jessica were true. Although I didn't like her, she was a student in my school, and her disappearance was very close to me. I shivered a little, involuntarily, The lull in conversation finally ended when Lena spoke. Sounds like Jessica got exactly what was coming to her. I couldn't stand her anyway. She always looked down her nose at everybody. Her disappearance didn't break anyone's heart, except maybe the cheerleading squads. Although we shared Lena's feelings on a certain level, they seemed harsh coming right after Sandy's story. We didn't say anything for several moments. It was our way of letting Lena known she'd gone too far. When Sandy spoke again, her tone was serious, matter-of-fact. It doesn't matter, Lena. I don't plan on getting out of this car tonight, I'm just telling you. Whatever, was Lena's icy reply. Then there was a long pause before her eyes turned to me in the rearview mirror. What about you? Are you getting out? There was impatience in her voice. It was clear that she was testing me. I don't know, was my answer. I'll have to see the place. If it's totally weird... I trailed off. Well, if neither of you is getting out, then there's really no point in any of this, is there? She sighed, exasperated. You know, Lena, this was your idea, Sandy shot back and you never mentioned any of that legend crap before we agreed to come out here with you. Well, you never mentioned that stuff about Jessica playing truth or dare before I agreed to come out here with you, she challenged. I'm still going to go through with it. Well, I'm not you, Sandy answered evenly. You know, I thought you'd be into this kind of thing, seeing as we're all witchy and whatnot, argued Lena. I mean, you act like you're all into this fortune-telling and Ouija board stuff. I figured you'd dig it. Lena smirked in the rearview mirror. Oh, I do dig it, Sandy replied. I just don't especially want to drive out into the middle of nowhere and wait for some psycho to slash my throat open. Sorry if that's not my thing. Like that would even happen. Lena sighed briefly before adding savagely, You know what I think? I think you don't want to do this seance thing anymore because you're not really the expert you pretend to be. I think you're really just a fake and you're terrified somebody might find out. Did you seriously just call me a fake? Sandy spat. Well, you're nothing but a hypocrite. At least I'm not all skittish about some stupid legend. You guys are a bunch of babies. We're not... Babies, we just happen to have a little more common sense than you do, apparently. Sandy returned. I mean, in case you hadn't noticed, we're not exactly sitting in somebody's kitchen looking at some tarot cards, Lena. We're out in the woods on a dark road where a girl we both know probably went missing. If you're not a little bothered by this, I'd say it's you who's got the problem. Sandy finished defensively. Whatever sighed Lena, rolling her eyes sarcastically. I'm gonna find some place to turn around, since I'm the only one who actually wants to do this. Or well, don't let us stop you. We'll wait in the car for you if you'd like, Sandy smiled, almost daring Lena to get out of the car alone. What? Have a seance? By myself? Oh, that's brilliant, Sandy. Lena answered back. Yeah, why not? pursued Sandy. It's not like you couldn't do it alone. And you know that because you're such an expert, right? Lena said snidely. Oh, but I'm not an expert, remember? Sandy returned. Knock it off, you two, I sighed. I hated all of the bickering. I just wanted to go home. The slit of moon was lost from view as the canopy of dead leaves grew thicker overhead. The sound of twigs snapping beneath the trees grew increasingly common as we drove along the old country road. The headlights didn't little to cut the darkness. We were nearing water because a filmy fog began to cling to the ghostly trunks of trees outside to our left. Misty billows skirted out ahead of the gleam of the headlights floated before us in the night. Finally... We came up a small laneway where we could turn around. We pulled in, leaves brushing the sides of the car. We pulled in just far enough to be off the road. you guys sure you want to go back? She asked, barely hopeful. There was still a part of me that was curious, but it was kind of a curiosity that wanted daylight and sunshine rather than fog and darkness. I'm sure... I answered softly, hoping my answer wouldn't upset Lena further. Sandy had no such qualms. I want to get the heck out of here. This whole place gives me the creeps. She replied. Okay. Lena sighed sharply, putting the car in reverse. I hope you enjoyed part one of Brenda Ader's epic tale, The Legend of Shuffling Joe. Up next, we've got the thrilling 30-plus-minute conclusion to Adder's frightening foray. Before we take the moonlit trail back into Shuffling Joe's neck of the woods, however, allow me to tell you about another of today's sponsors, Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. As I mentioned at the top of the show... Green Chef is a USDA-certified organic company, and they're all about eating and living green. It's right in their name. And they'd like nothing more than for you to feel great about your food. They're so serious about helping you make healthier choices that they're now offering a variety of easy-to-follow meal plans for every lifestyle. Meal plans include paleo, plant-powered, vegan, and vegetarian... Prescatarian, Keto, Gluten-Free, and Omnivore. Whatever your preferences, Green Chef's got you covered. And you can rest easy knowing that every meal they provide contains a variety of organic ingredients. So, you might be asking, how exactly does Green Chef work? And what makes them different from other meal delivery services like HelloFresh, which I've also mentioned on this show and personally tried? Well, first... I'm proud to say that Green Chef is now owned by HelloFresh to offer a wider array of meal plans to choose from. There's something for everyone. I love switching between the brands for when my tastes change or when I want to eat a little differently one month. And thanks to the kind folks at HelloFresh and Green Chef, those of you in my listening audience can enjoy both brands at the discounted price. Now, how does Green Chef work? Well, they let you choose from the wide array of the easy-to-follow lifestyles with select organic ingredients that I mentioned earlier. Not only that, but everything included in their eco-friendly packages is hand-picked and delivered right to your door. Once you open up your box, you'll find recipes that are quick and easy to prepare with step-by-step instructions, chef tips, and photos to help guide you along. And all the ingredients come pre-measured, perfectly portioned and mostly prepared. That includes the sauces, dressing, and the spices, so you can get more flavor in less time. Green Chef really does make the process of cooking so fun and easy, you'll feel like a sous chef in no time. With Green Chef, it's easy to eat well and discover new recipes every week that you'll love to cook. And if you decide to change your preference from week to week, no problem. You can switch up your meal plan whenever you're ready to try a new way to eat. For my first delivery, I ordered four servings of each meal and selected the paleo plan. I received ingredients for some really awesome meals I would never have dreamed of shopping for myself. My first box included cumin-shrimp tostadas with almond flour tostadas, mixed greens, and guacamole, and that was just one of the meals. The next meal was steak tapenade with an olive tapenade, broccoli slaw, and savory squash. Is your mouth watering yet? I know mine was, and that was before I even got past the recipe cards. (laughs) My favorite meal out of the batch by far, however, was the chicken and arugula pistou, with roasted carrots and snap peas and a turnip risotto. I'd never have even attempted to make risotto out of turnips, and I haven't used arugula in a recipe in years, but Green Chef makes it easy to put everything together in a way that turned out so tasty I couldn't believe what I've been missing. I was really impressed with the first delivery, but I'm the type of guy who likes to experiment and try new things, and so I switched the following week to just two servings and selected the omnivore plan. The following week I got everything I needed to make rosemary sirloin steak with sweet potato lyonnaise, and a bacon and baby spinach salad. I didn't think Green Chef could top the first week, but by this point, I was thinking I'd never have to eat out again. And if you think going down to two servings left me short on flavor or options, you're wrong. Aside from the delicious steak dinner, I received ingredients to make a Greek chicken bowl with cumin rice, spinach, hummus dressing, olives, and feta. I was in Mediterranean heaven, and I had never even considered making anything with most of these ingredients before. These meals were so, so good. I really, really enjoyed making both and eating these meals. It felt like such an exciting adventure to get outside of my usual kitchen rut and try new things. I learned several new cooking techniques, and I found that making delicious side dishes to go with my meals is not nearly as complicated as I'd imagined. And I discovered new foods I never tried before and found them to be quite tasty. With Green Chef's wide variety of high-quality, clear ingredients you can trust, seasonally sourced for peak freshness, you too can feel great about what you're eating and how it got to your table. Their expert chefs design flavorful recipes for your lifestyle that go way beyond ordinary substitutions. With their diverse array of meal plans with plenty of options to choose from each week, you can actually enjoy sticking to your goals. Everything's so convenient and easy. Green Chef makes cooking a breeze with dinner options that work around your schedule, not the other way around. If you allow Green Chef to do your meal planning, grocery shopping, and most of the prep for you week after week, you'll wonder soon enough why you ever did it any other way and this month as a listener of my program you can try green chef for less for a total of $75 off that's $25 off each of your first 3 boxes go to slash told 75 that's right for $75 off your first order with green chef visit greenshef.us slash t o l d seven five to let them know that Otis gyre and scary stories told in the dark sent you what have you got to lose except for maybe some sleep <laughs> I did <need> sleep anyway <laughs> now turn those lights down low and get cozy. We've got another frightening tale coming right up. <laughs> Now that I've done my part to help you eat better and have you salivating for more, allow me to satisfy your taste for terror with the second part and gripping conclusion of Brenda Adder's tale, The Legend of Shuffling Joe. You won't want to miss it. Stay tuned. Part 2 I felt somewhat defeated, in spite of the fact that we were heading home. I looked over at Sandy. Her face was turned toward the window opposite me, but I could still make out the square set of her jaw. I sat by Sandy all semester, but she always seemed so easygoing. That night, her quick wit and sharp retorts had surprised me somewhat and pleased me a little as well. I hated to admit it, but I liked Sandy's ability to handle Lena. I'd always been somewhat passive, and as a result, Lena had a tendency to push me around. If Sandy had not come along, I felt sure that we'd be uh, out on our way to the creek, whether I'd voiced any misgivings or not. We started moving backward, out onto the road again. I could hear the branches gently scraping the sides of the car as we moved. I rested my head against the window, my eyes, staring into the foliage outside. As we straightened out in the road, I looked at the laneway we'd just left. Fog filled the space where our car had been. Was I imagining, or was the fog getting thicker? I made slits of my eyes as I stared down the gravel path. Was that a house in the distance? I wondered momentarily if it might be the old Carver Place. How close had we gotten to Jefferson Creek? We'd never know now. We moved forward. The windshield had increasingly a whiter shade. I could hear Lena swearing a bit under her breath. I began to feel a little afraid. What if we got lost? What would we do? Lena, do you have your cell? I asked hesitantly. Yeah, she replied. It's got a full charge. Why? Just curious. I murmured. Let me guess, you're totally freaked out by this fog, right? She almost chuckled. Don't worry. Well, I don't know how you can even see in this. It's not like I have to navigate or anything, she said with an ounce of condescension. I mean, it's a straight shot once you're off the frontage road. Okay, I answered almost ashamed. Sandy didn't comment. I looked over at her again. Her eyes were closed. She was listening to music through her headphones. Tapping her feet and humming some song. She didn't care either way. Our steady progress seemed increasingly slow. It felt as if we were moving at a snail's pace, even though we probably weren't. I only sensed our movement during the long stretches of widely spaced trees. The fog seemed to thin out in those areas, and I could make out the ebony trunks of the trees and occasionally a lonely farmhouse. Once, as we were passing through one of these open sections, I could have sworn I saw the outline of a man in the distance. He wore an old hat with a wide brim. He stood very still, watching us as we went by. I couldn't take my eyes off of his silhouette. There was something dark and sinister... "'about his being there all alone with no farmhouse near. "'I was shaken deep down, but I said nothing to Lena. "'God forbid I should share another fear with her. "'I almost said something to Sandy, "'but she wouldn't have heard me over her headphones anyway. "'She was still humming softly, peering out the window near "'What was she looking at, I wondered. "'Just then, Sandy, slowly sat up in her seat, "'and peered out the window meaningfully. "Uh, "'What's the matter?' I asked, trying to sound calm. "'We're turning,' she said, very matter-of-factly. "'We're on a curve. Can you feel it?' "'I sat perfectly still for several moments. "'She kept looking at me, waiting. "'Can you feel it?' she asked again. "'A little,' I replied, unsure.' ''I think we're moving in toward the fog,'' she whispered. ''Helena, we didn't take a curve coming in, did we?'' I asked. ''No. It was all a straight shot from the frontage road. There aren't any curves.'' ''So, what's happening?'' Sandy inquired pointedly. ''Why are we turning if there aren't any curves?'' ''I don't know.'' "'the cockiness gone out of Lena's voice. "'We could have made a wrong turn. "'It's all one direction. "'Are there any street signs?' Sandy asked. "'None that would help us. "'It's not like we'd recognize anything.' "'Lena snapped back. "'We were definitely turning. "'There was no mistaking it. "'The road on the left was changing. "'It wasn't just endless trees and bushes.' It seemed that an embankment was forming far in the distance. It was moving toward us, a little at a time. "'Is that the creek over there?' Sandy pointed, afraid, because we weren't anywhere near the water coming in. There's a little nervous trill in her voice. "'This is crazy!' Lena looked over to her left. "'This is just insane. There's no way the creek can be over there. It's not possible.' "'The creek runs east and west, and we were driving north and south. "'Now it's over there on our left. "'You just turn right off the front road, and you go straight. "'I went straight all the way in. I didn't turn anywhere. "'You're supposed to come to an intersection with a big oak tree on the left. "'The bridge is about three miles ahead of that. "'How can we have just shifted directions? I don't I don't get it.' "'She was growing more exasperated the more she spoke. I don't get it. Why don't we just stop for a second and figure this thing out, Sandy suggested. Lena continued driving for a moment before she saw the wisdom of the suggestion and stopped. We all sat there listening to the hum of the motor. We need to figure this out, Lena began. But we need to figure out where we are. Are we still on Old South Road? I asked. I'm not sure anymore. "'Something weird's going on here,' Lena remarked. "'This is probably a bad time to mention "'that I saw something out on the fog back there, huh?' "'said Sandy. "'In the trees?' I asked, trying to hold my fear in check. "'Where was it?' "'Forget where it was. What was it?' "'asked Lena, turning around to face us, her eyes wide.' I don't remember where exactly, she began looking at me. Had she seen what I'd seen? She didn't get the answer to my question because I interrupted her. I think I may have seen it too. Was it a man? Yes, with a hat on, she threw in. Just standing there watching us drive by, I continued. I wasn't sure if I actually saw him or not. I paused for a beat. But wait. "'I saw him over here.' "'I stopped again, puzzled. "'How did you see the same man over there that I saw over here?' "'That can't be, right?' "'Maybe there were two men.' "'Sandy interrupted her voice, somewhat shaken. "'Okay, you guys are freaking me out. "'You both need to stop it,' snapped Lena. "'But Lena, if there's someone wandering around out here,' I argued. "'I don't care. We need to stop now.' and his voice grew stronger. Lena, calm down. Sandy stated, her tone firm and mildly sarcastic. Now who's freaking out? Yes, I'm freaking out, she spat. What do you expect me to do? You just told me there was some stranger wandering around out here watching us drive by. It's probably nothing, I reasoned. Yeah, you're getting yourself all worked up. Sandy interrupted. This isn't helping. You know what would help? She began, her voice thick with sarcasm. If you two would just shut up! Lena hollered the last, slamming her hand against the steering wheel for emphasis. It was then that the headlights suddenly and inexplicably went out. Okay, Lena, not funny. So not funny, said Sandy. Do you really think I'd be pulling a prank right now? Lena snapped. I instinctively hit the door lock at my left. Taking my cue, Lena hit the door lock for all of the doors. I could hear our breathing. We were all terrified. I could hear the faint sound of Sandy's headphones still going, but she shut them off just as I became aware of them. It's not me, Lena murmured. I didn't do it. I swear. I don't know how long we sat there in kind of suspended animation... We were frozen with disbelief. The question that kept coming back to me was always the same. What were we going to do? It was Sandy who said the question out loud. What are we going to do? Lena cleared her throat before speaking. First, we're going to call my dad and tell him where we are. Then we're going to shut off the car and wait until he comes for us. Deal? Since she lived closest and no one could think of a better plan, we decided she was right. She reached into her purse and pulled out the phone. She dialed her number. She didn't need to tell me that she had no signal. I was expecting that twist. It was the irony of life. How many times did we mistakenly talk on the phone when no one cared? Now, when it was imperative that we reach someone, there was no one to be reached. There was also the problem of location. Suppose we called her dad and even reached him. What then? Where were we? Even we didn't know. How could we talk to someone to come and get us if we didn't even know our location? It was a quandary. What now? I asked. "'I don't know. "'We wait till dawn?' "'Lena whispered, hopefully. "'It's like ten, Lena,' began Sandy a bit sarcastically. "'We can't just sit here all night. "'Besides, we'll have to turn off the car. "'We're going to need gas to get out of here.' "'Yeah,' I began. "'Maybe we should shut off the car.' It was more of a statement than a question. Lena was quiet for several moments. I could tell that she was thinking again. Okay, she began, talking her way through the problem. The lights have gone out. Okay, okay. I need light to drive. There's your cell phone, I suggested. Yeah, but it doesn't give off much light. Besides, I don't especially want to run down the battery using it that way. She answered. Hey, wait! Why don't we just use your GPS?' I exclaimed excitedly. The thought had just occurred to me. "'Yeah!' Sandy sat forward suddenly, overcome with new hope. "'Are you insane?' she murmured sarcastically. "'We're talking about my dad, remember? He's like the cheapest guy on Earth. "'My phone's a dinosaur. Besides, GPS doesn't do me any good if I can't see to drive.' "'Lina reasoned. "'There goes that idea.' "'Sandy, soaked, sliding back into her former position. "'Well, don't we have a flashlight in the trunk?' "'I asked, looking at Sandy. "'We could use that, couldn't we? "'I mean, it doesn't solve the GPS problem, "'but it could give us some light. "'I assume it has batteries?' "'Lina challenged, also looking at Sandy in the rearview mirror. "'It was Sandy's flashlight.' Yeah, it would be kind of pointless to bring it if it didn't work. She replied. Lena tried not to roll her eyes. Okay, uh, okay. Lena began, psyching herself up. When did you see that... person? A long way back up the road, I pointed. Like ten minutes ago, at least. Yeah, agreed Sandy. I saw him a while ago, too. Okay, Lena began. I'm going to get that flashlight out of the trunk. Sandy almost broke into dissuader, but Lena hissed a bit and kept going. If I can get that, then we can actually see where we're going. The risks are worth a payoff. You see that, right? We all agreed that she was right. She nodded her head with resolution before speaking again. Now, I'm going to roll down my window about an inch. I'm going to talk to you the whole time I'm out there. If you don't hear me, she swallowed a minute. Something is just... something's wrong, okay? Do you want one of us to get out with you? Sandy asked. Yeah, I mean, one of us could hold the phone so you can see, or something. I suggested... Which one of you wants to volunteer for that job? Lena asked sarcastically, looking in the rearview mirror. I hoped Sandy would speak up, but she didn't. I couldn't bring myself to volunteer, either. The thought of leaving the car terrified me. Yeah, that's what I thought. Lena smirked before adding, It's probably better this way, anyway. If there is a problem, you'll need the phone to call for help. It needs to stay in the car. It's the only one we've got. Besides, it's not as though there's oh, that much stuff in the trunk. I should be able to find that bag with a light. We all sat there quietly, listening to the engine rumbling in the darkness. Lena finally broke the silence by pushing a nearby button and opening the driver's side window about an inch. "'If something happens, I want you to try calling my dad again. It's listed under Dad in my contacts. And if we can't reach him,' Sandy asked tentatively, "'I guess you'll just have to call 911.' Her voice was static, emotionless. It was her way. When situations become too intense, Lena divorced herself from them. I watched Lena's features alter as her fear took hold. She swallowed it down like poison. I silently cursed myself for being so cowardly and for having such a conservative mother. You don't need a cell phone. That was my mother's constant refrain. What now, Mother? What now? Then again, had I taken my mother's advice and had avoided this adventure, as she suggested, I probably wouldn't have needed a cell phone in the first place. What now, indeed? As for Sandy, her phone had broken during the second week of school. It was anyone's guess as to why she never stopped by the store to get it replaced. Now we all sat in Lena's car with one working phone. Sort of. "'I'm going to count to three, and then I'm going to run out there,' said Lena, reaching down under her seat to pull the trunk release. Then she paused for several moments, gathering her nerve. Finally, she broke the dreadful silence. One. I found myself breathing shallowly, my breath catching in my throat. My heart was pounding so hard that my chest actually hurt. Two. I could see her hand reaching for the door handle. She unlocked the door manually with her other hand. Three. She hesitated for just a moment before jumping out of the car and skittering around to the back. She made small talk while she opened the trunk and dug around inside. It was almost pitch black out there, so I knew she would have trouble finding anything. Of course, the fact that Lena took corners like a ninety five hundred 500 racer... Didn't help, either. I'm sure everything was slung to one side. I could hear the sound of her moving stuff around frantically, digging for the light. The car even dipped back as her weight shifted. She must have had to put her knee up on the bumper and stretch her arms into the back of the trunk. The talk grew less and less constant as she searched. I knew we should have just stuffed all of that gear into the back seat like Sandy suggested. All of this was running through my head. The sounds suddenly died out and her movements became less frantic and searching. Had she found it. Sandy rolled her window down just a smidge then. You need help, Lena? Sandy called hesitantly. Or did you find it okay? Lena didn't answer. We couldn't hear anything. It was utterly silent. I looked behind me through the rear window and could only see the trunk cover standing open like a yawning chasm. The blue sheen of it blocked out most of the window and the view of the road behind us. Not that we could have seen anything anyway. The darkness was disquieting and the fog obscured anything we might have seen. I sat frozen as did Sandy. I could feel her watching me almost afraid to speak. I turned to her. Her eyes said more than her mouth could have uttered. The fear was plainly written on her features. I, too, was afraid. But I was also racked with guilt. One of us should have gotten out of the car with Lena. I cursed my lack of courage. Just as I thought this, Sandy and I's predicament came back to me with a heart-thumping immediacy. If someone, or something... Had gotten to Lena, it could get to us as well. Without further consideration, I reached over and locked Lena's door. Fear heightened my senses by degrees. I could feel the hum of the motor. I could hear the low crackling of the radio, so low now that no music could be heard. And through it all, a single question repeated itself in my mind. What had happened to Lena? I was seized with the desire to open the door and see what might be out there. I was seized with the desire to climb over the seat and start driving into the blackness. I was seized with the desire to hunker down in the car, shut off the engine and wait for the dawn. All of these options seemed both marvelous and terrible. The first idea was obvious pitfalls. Suppose someone was out there waiting... Suppose Lena was already history and there was no point in heroics. Suppose a gruesome sight awaited me just beyond the edge of the trunk. The last thought I could not consider. The second option seemed just as loathsome, though it did present some promise. Suppose I did drive off and we got to safety. That would be wonderful. But suppose Lena was in trouble. Could I live with myself or abandoning her? seemed unforgivable. The last idea was equally cowardly in the end. We'd save fuel, of course, and in the light of dawn we'd be able to see something, but again there was the sense that we'd be abandoning Lena. I finally decided to roll down the window as far as I could and lean out to see if I could get a glimpse of anything beyond the trunk of my car. "'My eyes had adjusted somewhat to the darkness by then, "'and I felt sure I was able to make out something in the gloom. "'This also provided relative safety "'because I did not actually have to leave the car. "'I considered grabbing Lena's cell phone "'and using the screen as a flashlight, "'but I couldn't risk dropping it "'or worse yet having it taken from me. "'It was, quite literally, "'our only connection to the world outside.' I decided to do the best I could without it. The sound of the window going down unnerved me. It was like pulling down my blanket in a dark room when I was a child. There was an illusion of safety when the blanket was pulled up. There was the sense that the mix of cotton would save me, but that was a lie. The monster was still out there, waiting under the bed. I tried to listen, but the hum of the engine seemed unaccountably loud. I looked over at Sandy, about to tell her my plan, but she sat rubbing the back of her hand across her lips over and over again in a repetitive fashion as though she was on the brink of a breakdown. Her breath was coming in short gasps, and she seemed about ready to either scream or cry. I listened to the sounds of the night for several moments, gathering my nerve, before turning my attention to the task of figuring out how I intended to ease myself out of the window. On the surface, it seemed simple enough, but in practice, it became logistically challenging. I finally decided to put my hands on the top of the car and use my feet to push myself up through the window into a sitting position. Thus situated, I felt sure that I'd be able to see beyond the trunk's open lid and possibly manage to get a glimpse of Lena somewhere. I tried not to think of reasons why Lena may have stopped talking to us, but it was impossible. Perhaps she'd heard a noise a few yards from the car and had gone to investigate. Maybe she'd gone silent because she was trying to hear something in the night. Neither of these suggestions was particularly comforting. What had she heard that she needed to investigate? Why did she need to remain silent? I could delay my plan no longer. If Lena was in trouble... I never got myself I already had too many sins to count where Lena was concerned. I glanced across the seat at Sandy. Her hand was still at her lips and her eyes regarded me with ill-disguised terror. I couldn't allow myself to consider her fears. I had to know if Lena was safe. It was the least I could do. On the count of three, I took a deep breath and pushed myself up. The maneuver was far more awkward than I had anticipated. My elbow smacked the window frame smartly and my feet slid on the cloth seats of Linus's car. In the end, I had to content myself with a partial view of what lay beyond the open trunk. However, this did not bother me too much. The idea of being up so high and out of the car so far actually terrified me. Already I felt terribly vulnerable. I attempted to get a look at our surroundings, but the scene was merely dim. Instead, I did my best to see if I could hear anything. The night was alive with a million tiny sounds coming from a distance. The bullfrogs groaned, the birds twittered, an owl called from far away. When added to all of this, the constant hum of the motor effectively drowned out any real sounds I might have heard. As if on cue... The moon came out from behind the clouds a second later. Silver outlined each tree and bush. Looking around, I strained to see something in the foggy obscurity. I found that I could make out the shapes of trees, but not much else. I leaned back further on the windowsill, trying to see beyond the open lid of the trunk, but I was met with only darkness. My lips tried to form Lena's name. I wanted to call out to her. I wanted to but I found that I couldn't bring myself to say the words. A tiny voice in the very furthest reaches of my consciousness was whispering to me insistently that it was best if I remained silent. I exhaled suddenly, unaware that I'd been holding my breath. A frustration was mounting in me. I wanted to know, where was Lena? More than anything, I wanted Lena to casually appear from the back end of the car... "'as though nothing was wrong, the flashlight in her hand. "'But she did not appear. "'She did not appear, and she made no sound. "'None, that is, except the dragging. "'I became slowly conscious that just above the hum of the motor, "'a little ways off, there was something moving, moving this way. "'It sounded like footsteps, "'but there was something not quite right about them. "'I listened intently, trying to better hear what was approaching.' but no matter how I strained, I was as perplexed as ever. Step. Drag. Step. Drag. Step. Drag. My breath became shaky as my heart began pounding even more incessantly in my chest. I looked this way and that, trying to capture a glimpse of what it was that was making the sound. Step. Drag. Step. Drag. Step. Drag. As panic gripped me, I wrestled my way back into the car, hurriedly rolling up my window. Automatically, I scanned all four doors and noted that all of the locks were engaged. My God! Sandy's voice came out of the shadows, little more than a broken whisper. What is that? Her eyes were frightened. She scanned all of the windows in quick succession, trying to see everything at once. You don't think... She began again, but didn't finish. At first, I was somewhat bewildered by her words, but little by little, they worked their way into my consciousness. You don't think... What don't I think? And just like that, I knew. That's just a story, Sandy. My voice sounded small and unconvincing to my ears. Stop pretending, she said, her tone controlled but shaky. You know what it is. Sandy, stop that. I tried to sound strong, brave, but I knew better. I sounded as broken and terrified as she. We're going to have to stay calm. No, stay calm. You're joking, right? She snapped. Next, you're going to tell me it's nothing, even though you know that's a lie. She finished by laughing hollowly. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm sure it's nothing. Nothing but that creep. The one that goes around slitting people's throats after he breaks their legs. Don't talk like that, I replied, my words shaky. I had to keep it together. I could not fall apart. We don't know. You don't think so? She interrupted, her voice a sarcastic whisper. What about Lena? Where is she? Huh? We're going to have to do something. We can't sit here. There was a long pause, as though she were considering something. Then she added, If we wait much longer, and she took a deep breath, steadying herself, we're not going to get out of here. Stop talking like that. I snapped automatically. My tone far louder than I'd meant it to be, but I couldn't listen to her anymore. But deep down, you know I'm right. He came for Lena. Now he's going to come for us. Don't! I could feel my own hysteria rising. Shh! She interrupted me. An odd expression marring her features. You hear that? I listened. All of a sudden, everything was still. The movement outside had stopped. This should have comforted me, but it was somehow more terrible than the noises I'd heard before. We both looked at each other. Sandy sat quietly, her mouth open slightly as she concentrated. I don't know what's going on, Sandy whispered, but I know we got to get out of here. But what about, I protested. Sandy merely looked at me. Her thoughts were clearly written on her face. We couldn't consider Lena anymore. I caught a glimpse of myself in the rearview mirror. My expression was drawn tightly. My skin was pale and hollow. We sat immobile for several moments. Indeed, it was so still that I'd almost forgotten that "'Anything existed outside the car. "'The scream that shattered the eerie silence "'was deafening and terrifying, "'even more so when I realized "'that the noise had come from my own mouth. "'The trunk lid had slammed shut with an odious thud. "'Instinctively, we both turned to look at the back window. "'We gazed, transfixed, "'at the ghostly darkness and the eerie fog. "'I felt tears forming at the edge of my eyes.' I was silently grateful for Sandy's presence, if only because she allowed me to face the ugliness of the situation with a companion. We waited what seemed like an eternity for something to happen next. And then it came. Step. Drag. Step. Drag. Step. Drag. I grabbed Sandy's arms in frenzy, my fingers twisting her skin, in the fabric of her shirt, together mercilessly. "'She winced, but I was beyond noticing. "'What's happening?' I said through ragged breaths. "'Then, more hysterically, what's happening?' "'Step, drag, step, drag, step, drag. "'He was getting closer. "'I knew that. "'I tried not to look through the windows "'to keep my eyes on Sandy and away from the road.' but my resolve was short-lived. Eventually, my curiosity proved unbearable, and I found myself gazing through the windshield once more. There, out in the fog, my eyes made out the shadowy silhouette of a man. His shoulders were slumped, and he wore an old hat. He did not move. He just stood there waiting, watching. Sandy didn't look. She didn't need to. Overcome with terror, she skirted between the pilot seats and took hold of the steering wheel. I screamed at her to stop, fearful of what might happen next in her panic, but she wouldn't listen. I don't know about you, but I'm not going to just sit here and wait for some maniac to slit my throat. I'm getting out of here, she screamed. I wanted to say something logical, something reasonable, but my mind had gone completely blank. On some primal level, I knew Sandy was right, As crazy and nonsensical as everything seemed, Sandy was doing the most sane thing she could. Her hand found the gear shift, and her foot found the accelerator. She took off at breakneck speed, the car careening wildly down the dark road. Instinctively, I grabbed the nearby seatbelt and snapped it into place. I doubted it would do much good, but I figured it couldn't hurt. We shouldn't have come here. I knew we shouldn't have come here. She murmured as she drove. Up ahead, in the cool fog, it rose out of the mist. It was the bridge over Jefferson Creek. The old concrete bridge seemed ripped from another time, another place, not unlike a castle winding its way out of dense forest on a tall hill. I'd known we were close. I'd known, and yet its appearance still managed to send a deep chill into my stomach. Somehow we'd managed to change directions again. We were no longer riding parallel to the creek but driving perpendicular to it. We were heading straight for the bridge. I heard the tires squeal savagely as we took a curve in the road at incredible speed. I felt the car sliding sideways. Impact was imminent. The last images I remember were the movement of the car, the limitless gloom wrapped in eerie fog, and the blurred shadow of a man standing at the edge of the bridge, waiting. I woke to the sight of spinning emergency lights. I was still in the car, buckled in. My first thought was for Sandy, but when I looked in the front seat, I couldn't see her. We'd hit one side of the bridge, hard. I was startled by the face of a paramedic next to the glass. His flashlight was blinding. I couldn't think how they'd gotten there, who'd alerted them. All I knew was that they were all there. The ambulance, the fire trucks, the police cars. The bridge seemed alive with dizzying shades of red and blue. In a daze, I found myself opening the door. Whoa, admonished the paramedic. We haven't looked over you yet. Don't move. I felt gutted. I vaguely listened as he asked me standard questions. What happened? Can you hear me? Follow my finger. Do you feel any pain anywhere? Does this hurt? How about this? What were you guys doing out here? How did you... I began, still groggy and confused. OnStar, the paramedic replied, matter-of-factly. Their emergency services get a remote sensor indication that you'd been in a crash. They contacted us right away. Instinctively, I glanced at the dashboard, looking for some indication of a remote censoring system the paramedic must have read my mind because a moment later he leaned in pointing see right there he was pointing at a rearview mirror see that button that says sos i nodded half-heartedly that's the button you push if you need help sometimes people can't push the button because they're hurt that's when the automatic sensor deploys oh that was all i could think of to say A moment later, he turned away and went back to the ambulance. I attempted to stand up to try to walk, but I collapsed again. I made my way through the numerous emergency personnel trying to ask about Sandy and Lena, but whenever I brought up the others, they told me to rest, to go sit down. Why wouldn't they answer me? It was some time later when I learned the truth. Sandy, not belted, had been thrown from the vehicle. She was killed... On impact, her legs smashed. Lena? Lena had been with us all along, in the trunk. She'd been folded like a pretzel, legs destroyed. I thought back to when she'd put her weight on the back of the car, leaning into the trunk. Is that when he'd grabbed her? I couldn't know. I alone survived. I'm not sure why. Maybe Lena was right. Maybe I am a dead battery where the spirit world is concerned. I don't care. I have no desire to talk to spirits anymore. Jessica? No. She's never been found. But I suspect she's out there like the others. Out there by Jefferson Creek. Out there in the endless night with shuffling Joe. Thanks for joining me tonight for Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you like what you heard and would like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's episode, which includes two more terrifying tales, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself on Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, where you can sign up for a season pass and get access to all 24 ad-free extended episodes from this season, or sign up as a patron for just $5 per month and get access to not just my show, but our network's audio archive of hundreds of previous releases, including premium versions of our other shows. Not only that, but you'll be lending your support to this very program and help me continue bringing nightmares to life each and every week. Again, thanks to today's sponsors... Haunted Places, and Green Chef for their support of this show. Don't forget, as a listener, you can try Green Chef today at a discount. For a total of $75 off, that's $25 off each of your first three boxes, go to greenchef.us slash told75. Once again, visit greenchef.us slash told75 to let them know that Otis Gyre sent you. And when you're finished listening to me, go ahead and check out Parcast's original series Haunted Places for another dose of bone-chilling tales from Greg and his team. Until next week, stay spooky and get some sleep if you can. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark